wonder if we could get all the kids to come sit on the front row for just a, just a couple minutes while we do a little brief kid sermon today. Good looking group here today. You guys look good today. Thank you for coming. Anybody ever heard about Jonah? Y'all know about Jonah? What did Jonah do? Okay. He sinned and then he got eaten by fish. That's good. That's, that's, that's accurate. That's accurate. We're going to talk about this morning. That's going to be our text today in the book of Jonah as we talk about one of the prophets today. Uh, but very briefly, I want to share with these guys. And I want to talk about this because there's a lot of people in the world today there's a lot of Christians who over the years have cast doubt on the book of Jonah, making it as if it was kind of a fairy tale for the adults, a metaphor. Uh, but for you guys, like a fairy tale, they say it didn't really happen. It's just a story that was written so that we could understand some things about God. Well, I want to share with you this morning that it did happen, just like the Bible says it. And so as we talk about that for the next few moments, Jonah was a prophet. We could say a preacher. And God called him to go to the Ninevites, to go to a city called Nineveh and preach to them. Now, Nineveh was their enemy. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites at all. As a matter of fact, he would love to see them just all wiped out. He didn't like them at all. And so when the Lord told Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites... Jonah didn't want to go. So instead of going to Nineveh, where God told him to go, he turned around and ran from from Nineveh and went the other direction and didn't go where God said. He got on a boat. He was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, the Bible says. And he got on this boat, and God sent a storm, and the storm started rocking the boat, and things got dangerous. And finally, they threw Jonah overboard because they knew he was the problem. He's always a problem when you run from God. Jonah was running from God and it was causing a problem. There was a storm there and the ship was about to go down. So these guys, now Jonah told him to do this, by the way. He says, it's my fault. I'm running from God. And this storm has been sent. If you'll throw me overboard, everything will be okay. At least he was honest. And so that's exactly what they did. They threw him overboard and he went down in the ocean. And then when he was going down in the water, that's when a fish did what? A fish ate him. A fish swallowed him. Now, some people say, I've heard smart, well, they thought they were smart people. I've heard smart people say there's not fish in the ocean that's big enough to swallow a man whole. I'd like for you to watch this video. If they'll dim the lights for us before we play this. I saw this the other day on Facebook and thought about it. And um, just look, watch this. Watch this fish right in the middle swimming up next to these yachts. And look how big this fish is. That's a big one, isn't it? Just watch it. Swimming in here where all these boats are. Now watch these people on the docks and how small they are compared to the whale. think that fish is big enough to eat people? Just watch it. Watch how big he is. These are big, nice boats and yachts. He's, would you like to catch one that big? <laughs> See, the Bible says that God prepared a great fish fish swim. Yeah, you get the idea, don't you? Now here's a woman, she doesn't know what she's fooling around with. She reaches out and touches her. But that is one huge fish. Easily big enough. I've read where some grown men, smart men, said there's not a fish in there that's big enough to swallow a man whole. Well, I promise you that one is. And there's others just like him and bigger. 
God prepared this fish to swallow Jonah. Now, while the lights are out and we watch him, well, that's the end of it. While this, this video is ending and we go back to the other screen, when what happened to Jonah after he was swallowed by the fish? Do you, do you remember? Then this, then the Lord caused this fish to vomit Jonah back out on the shore. And you know what? Once that happened, Jonah got ready to go preach to Nineveh. He decided he better do what the Lord wanted him to do. So then he went and preached to Nineveh. And that's what you're going to study about in children's church today. So you children, you small ones, you guys who are small, you know what room you go to. And the older ones go over here. And you're going to talk about Jonah today. Okay? Thank you for being here today. Let's give them a hand as they leave. Okay, go ahead. If you have your Bibles today, if you would turn with me to the book of Jonah. We, um, on Wednesday evening, we dealt with the book of Obadiah. And I know our pattern would be that I would take Obadiah this morning, but I decided to go ahead and move on with Jonah. I think we pretty well exhausted Obadiah the other night. And we're going to talk about Jonah today. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. I'd just like for you to notice in verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. Had laid down and was fast asleep. Now if you've noticed there's been a repeat of one word already three times. We saw that Jonah went down to Joppa in verse 3. And he went down into the ship in verse 3. And in verse 5, he laid down in the ship. And we're going to see that word again a little bit later. Jonah said to these men in verse 12, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. These men were afraid to do that, but finally they relented. They gave in to him. And verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pause there for just a few moments and give some context to this. When the Lord told Jonah to rise and go to Nineveh, I don't think any of us here probably can fully appreciate what that meant to him. Assyria was the biggest enemy of Israel for a long period of time, always conquering, always threatening always coming against them to uh, to inflict all kinds of discomfort and problems into their life. They were bullies. They were threatening. 
And quite frankly, the Assyrians were the greatest enemy of the people of God here. And now the Lord says, Jonah, I want you to go to the capital city of Assyria. I want you to go to Washington, D.C. for us. And I want you to preach to those folks. And I want you to tell them about me. And Jonah thought to himself, I don't want to do that. I hate those people. Those people have given us nothing but grief and problems for years. And Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't want to go. And as we're going to read in a few moments, Jonah knew down deep in his heart that if he went to Nineveh and preached to them, that they might repent. And he knew if they repented, God would do what? God would forgive them. Because that's the way God is. So Jonah had a problem with that. He didn't want to see the Ninevites repent. He didn't want to see the Ninevites delivered. He wanted to see them obliterated and done away with. He wanted them dead. So instead of going to Nineveh, which is where God told him to go, which was about 500 miles to the east, he turned around and went, one writer said, 2,500 miles the other direction, exactly the opposite, went west to a place called Tarshish. He went as far as he could go to get away from where God had called him and for what God wanted him to do. Now that's a problem. And I'd like to suggest to you today that it is not coincidental that the Bible says that Jonah went down to Joppa, that, don't, that Jonah went down into the ship, that he laid down and was fast asleep. And then a little bit later we're going to see where he went down while he was in the water, uh, in the in the the belly of this great fish. He went down to the moorings of the mountains. Now, I think all of us probably understand today... You know, you can go to western North Carolina and see mountains, right? You can also go out into the ocean and go underwater and you'll see mountains there too. There are underwater mountains. And so as as Jonah was in the belly of this fish and going way down, his words were that he went down in verse 6, I went down to the moorings, to where they're attached to the bottom, if you will. I went down to the moorings of the mountains down into the depths of the sea in the belly of this great fish. My point here is, anytime God has revealed His will to us, and we decide to do something other than what God has revealed to us, we're going down. It is a path, if we're running away from God, if we're running away from God's will, if we're running away from the revealed Word of God, we're not doing what we know to do. There's not anything good going to come out of that. As, as children of God, as Christians, as people who know better, when He reveals His will to us and we go the opposite way, it's going to take us on a downward path and the results are not going to be good. Can anybody tell me amen? That's what the Bible teaches us. In general, not just here in this particular passage. So Jonah, being a prophet of God, and God calls him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to, and he probably didn't say your worst enemy, but that's who it was. Jonah says, I'm not doing it. I don't like it, Lord, that you would require that of me. And so he went the other direction as far as he could go. And he went down, down, down. Until finally when he was cast overboard on the ship in a storm, which by the way God sent. I hate to burst your bubble today, but sometimes God does send the storms. Sometimes when difficult times and storms come into our lives, sometimes they are from the Lord. And for a reason. Well, it's awful quiet. Could you say amen? It's the truth. And so as this... As this storm comes, and the Bible is very clear that the Lord sent it, the Lord caused it. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to see where the Lord prepared several things. The Lord caused several things to happen. But the storm was his idea. And of course, eventually as we've read, old brother Jonah was thrown overboard. 
I'm going to read something to you about Nineveh today. Because as you, as you study what has been written about this book of the Bible, you will find many doubters. You will find many people who try to remove the miraculous from the Bible and they'll try to explain things away. And for years it had been stated that there is no proof in history of any place called Nineveh. Nineveh didn't even exist. So this is all just a fairy tale, we're told by some scholars. So I'd like to read this. As for the city of Nineveh, it was rediscovered in the 19th century after more than 2,500 years of obscurity. It is now believed to have been the largest city in the world at the time of its demise. 4,000 years of urban growth is a book that explains this, a historical census. And then, according to Sir Austin Henry Layard, who chronicled the rediscovery of Nineveh in his classic Discoveries at Nineveh, is the name of his book, in circumference of Greater Nineveh, was exactly three days' journey as recorded in Jonah 3, chapter 3, verse 3. Prior to its rediscovery, skeptics scoffed at the possibility that so large a city could have existed in the ancient world. In fact, skeptics denied the existence of Nineveh altogether. Its rediscovery in the mid-1800s proved to be a remarkable vindication for the Bible, which mentions Nineveh by name 18 times and dedicates two entire books, Jonah and Nahum, to its fate. Now listen to this. It is interesting to note where the lost city of Nineveh was rediscovered. It was found buried beneath a pair of tails, T-E-L-L-S. In case you don't know what a tail is, in ancient times a city could be built and then been torn down and another city built on top of it and it torn down and another city built on top of it and it was torn down so it would create a hill. It would create a hill of rubble. And those rubbles are called tails, T-E-L-L-S. And, and the writer of this article says, these mounds are known, excuse me, it is interesting to note where the lost city of Nineveh was rediscovered. It was found buried beneath a pair of tails, these big piles of rubble, in the vicinity of Mosul, in modern-day Iraq. How many have seen Mosul on the maps on TV? Yes, very common as you watch the news. These mounds are known by their local names. Well, I can sure butcher this, I'm sure. Kuyanajik and Nabe Yunus. Nabe Yunus happens to be Arabic for, in quotes, the prophet Jonah. The lost city of Nineveh was found buried beneath an ancient tale named after the prophet Jonah. What about that? And we were told by the skeptics Nineveh didn't exist. Now we know where it is. And they even, in Arabic, the Arabs there called it um, the prophet Jonah and his tale. Well, we're all familiar, I think, with this story. We understand what the Bible says, but I'm going to pick up in verse 17 and read through chapter 2 about what happened to Jonah. I'd like for you to listen to it very carefully. Now the Lord, verse 17 of chapter 1, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to his Lord, God, from the fish's belly. And he said, now if you notice this is in past tense. He's, he's rehearsing what he's already gone through. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, 
and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings or to the foundations of the mountains. He says the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. That sounds kind of final to me. Yet, he says, you have brought me, you have bought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now I don't know how many of you who are here today believe this. But I'm going to tell you right now, I believe it. I I don't know that I understand it perfectly. I know when you listen to the quote experts, some will tell us that this is a metaphor and it's like a parable that didn't really happen. It's just given as a, an example and a story to teach us a lesson about some things. Well, I'll promise you this. It teaches us some lessons about some things, but it's not just a metaphor. It actually happened. Let me share with you the way I've always understood this particular passage and see if you have understood it the same way. It has always, in my limited understanding, perhaps, of Scripture, and from a child I've heard this, being taught it in children's church and and all those places when I was a child. I've heard about Jonah and the whale and how, how this whale swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale and, and, and he was talking and all these other things. And as a child, I tried to envision what it was like inside the belly of the whale. And then I'd see in the scripture where it talked about he had weeds around his head, seaweed and all kind of things and oh, how it must have smelled and how it must have been. And I mean, to be in the belly of a fish, you know, we, we try to figure those things out. And then after three days when he had repented and when God said it was time, then this fish would go up near the shore and, blah, and out comes Jonah. Is that kind of the way you understood it? I mean, that's, that's the way I've always envisioned it. And I think that may have been exactly what happened. But after reading this passage over and over and over, And then I discovered I wasn't the first one by far to begin to wonder about this. I'm beginning to wonder if it happened like that or if it happened another way. If it happened that this fish swallowed Jonah and he prayed his prayer and might have even died. There's a lot in that passage to suggest that. If you'll notice, he said in verse 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 2, he said, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. That word Sheol there is the Hebrew word for grave. The grave, the world of the dead. That's what Sheol means. It also is translated pit, as we'll see in a few moments. He says, the waters surrounded me even to my soul. That part of me that uh, lives forever. He says, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever, as if with finality. It's sealed. But then he says, yet you have bought my life, you have bought up my life 
from the pit. You have bought up my life from Sheol. There's that word again. This time it's translated the pit. When my soul fainted within me, when it went dark, I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you. And he says, of course, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Now, be honest with you. I don't know that anybody can prove one way or the other which one of these is absolutely correct. Did Jonah get swallowed and live for three days in the belly of a whale and then get vomited up on shore? Or did he get swallowed and actually die and the Lord bring him back to life? Let me read another passage of Scripture that might make us think about that a little bit. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew. And we're going to read the words of Jesus. Luke, excuse me, Luke, not Matthew. Luke 11, verse 29. Luke 11, verse 29. These are the words of Jesus. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, 11.29 of Luke. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, Jesus began to say, listen to what he said. This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with the men of this city, or with the men of this generation, and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says, For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. What's he talking about? He's talking about his coming resurrection. Spent three days in the heart of the earth, did he not? And then he rose from the dead. Which makes one wonder if perhaps this is the kind of a thing that happened in Jonah's life. Do you realize that there are ten times in the scripture that someone was raised from the dead? Three in the Old Testament. Could it be that um, Jonah might have been another one? Think about it. If Jonah was in the belly of a whale, like I have envisioned it my whole life, and like most of you have envisioned it it your whole life, he's in the belly of this whale for three days, and then he gets vomited up on shore alive. How many of you would agree that's a miracle? Right? Okay. Okay. If he's in the belly of this whale and he prays and then he's dead for three days. And then he vomit, gets vomited back up on the shore alive. How many of you would agree that's a miracle? It's a miracle either way, isn't it? And there's an argument that can be made for each of those. And I don't know that I had ever seen that before. I'd like to be able to tell you with absolute certainty it was one way or the other, but I really can't. Because I don't know. I can see where it could likely have been either way. The point is, either way, it was a miracle. Now, I've always heard this. Have you heard this? As long as there's life, there's hope. You ever heard that one? As long as there's life, there's hope. I'm here to tell you that with God, sometimes there's there's hope even when there's no life. Ask Lazarus. Right? Lazarus was in the grave, had been there four days, and the Bible says, and he stinks. 
He's been dead that long. And what happened to Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. Was he not? Are we a Bible-believing church or what? He was raised from the dead after four days. And somebody would say, no way. No way could that happen. No way. He's been dead too long. Four days? Are you kidding me? Now, I don't know. But I can tell you with absolute certainty that what happened to Jonah was a miracle, whichever way it went. To be three days in the belly of a fish and survive or be three days in the belly of a fish and be resurrected either way. And that is consistent with what Jesus was talking about, by the way. Three days, and he's a sign. It seems to open that door as a possibility. I'd just like to leave with us this morning that God knows exactly what's going on in our lives. He knows when he gives us a command and we're obedient. When he says, go to Tarshish and we go to Tarshish, He knows it when we're obedient. And when he says go to Tarshish and we turn and go the opposite way, does he know it? Yes, he knows it. And he's watching our every move, our obedience and our disobedience. Well, interesting thing about Jonah to me was he knew enough about God to know that if he obeyed God and went and preached, that God might forgive those people. And you know what? He was absolutely right. Because when Jonah, when Jonah got his heart right and decided, okay, Lord, I got you. I'm going. He went and preached. And those people repented. They turned and, and told the Lord they were sorry and they called a fast and did all those things. And you know what Jonah said? I knew it. I knew it all the time. If I went and did that, I knew they were going to come to Christ. Well, not come to Christ, but the Lord was going to change his mind and not destroy him. And you know what he did? Somebody tell me. He preached the message to the Ninevites. They repented and he got angry. Right? He was, he's got to be the only preacher that ever preached and had success and then was mad about it. Yeah, and he was, he even said to the Lord, chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So we prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant to loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Was he ever upset? He hated the Ninevites so badly that when God spared them, it made him angry. Um... I'd like to give you just five life lessons really quick in summary form about this passage that we've looked at today in Jonah. Number one, disobedience to God will take you on a downward path. Amen? The second thing I'd like for us to notice is I'm going to take it from John 3.16 where the Bible says that God so loved the what? God so loved the world. One more time. God so loved the Not just parts of the world. Not just, not just some of the people in the world. God so loved the world. Did God love Israel? Did, did God love Judah? Did God love the Assyrians? Ooh. Does God love the Christians in America? Does God love the Muslims in Afghanistan? We used to be taught when we were small, and we still teach that to our children, by the way. Remember the old song that said, 
Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen? No difference with God. He loves us all. He created us all. Amen? He created us all. So our skin color, our language, where we happen to be from, what our heritage is, none of that disqualifies us from God's love. I personally, this is just for me, and I think most of you will agree with this, but I totally reject the idea that God has predetermined that some people are going to be lost and some people are going to be saved. I reject that. Because the gospel is given to whosoever will let him come. You make that determination about the gospel. God doesn't make it for you. We can all come to Christ. Whoever we are. And I think it's an important thing to understand that. um, And that we need to be very careful about our attitudes towards other people. Because if the truth be known, I don't think that God loves us Americans any better than he loves anybody else on the face of the earth. He loves us all. Number three, there's always hope. Where there's life, there's hope. And sometimes where there's no more life, there's still hope with God. And I'll reference there again, Lazarus and possibly even Jonah. Well, Jonah thought he was done in, I'm going to tell you that. If he didn't die, he thought he was going to. The way he described it there is there's no hope. The door's been shut, the bars are there, and I can't get back. But then he turns around and gives God praise for what he's done for him. Number four, sometimes the will of the Lord will take us to places we don't want to go. Amen. Sometimes the will of God will take us to places we don't want to go. That happened with Jonah. It happens with us a lot. Number five, God is in control. He sent the storm. He prepared the fish. He prepared a plant. He sent a worm to kill the plant. He sent a wind to dry up the plant. All through the book of Jonah, we see God is in control. So may I suggest when you watch the evening news and when you hear about the craziness that's happening in our world today to remind yourself that God is in control. God can put a stop to this madness anytime he's good and ready. He can come take all of his children, the bride of Christ. He can take us all away. He can take us out of this mess anytime he so chooses. Amen. He's in control. Now, if we, if we lose sight of that, we're going to get all tied in knots and we're going to be biting our fingernails and wringing our hands and we're going to be depressed and all messed up mentally. But we, we just need to remember that God is in control. The book of Jonah teaches that in a wonderful way. The song we used to sing says, my faith is built or my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But I'd like for you to sing this with me. It says, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know thus saith the Lord, right where you see it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just
I was thinking about this um, this thing with Jonah and looking at that in a different way than I'd ever looked at it before and fully aware that when I shared that with you it was probably going to make you wonder I wonder which way it is did you know that there's some things about scripture matter of fact there's a quite a lot of things about scripture that I don't have all the answers for is that true with anybody else I know God's word is true. I know God's word is true. But sometimes we may not understand it completely. And that, I think what I shared with you today helped me appreciate that a little bit more. Sometimes we don't understand everything. And we have to just give it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't know exactly how it is, but I'm going to trust you. And the Lord gave me this, and it's been on my mind all week, so I'm not going to dismiss without sharing it with you. Because I felt like I needed to, and then I backed off from it, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Back in the old church, several years ago, this would have been about uh, maybe eight years ago, maybe a little longer. Joy and I were sitting in a, um, well, we were at a football game on a Saturday afternoon at Carter-Finley Stadium. And in the first half of this football game, I looked at Joy, something came over me, and I looked at Joy and I said, we're going to see Granddad. And she said, okay. She thought I meant probably next week or something I said no I mean we're going now we're in the first half of a football game that we pay good money for seats and the game's going on and I look at her and say I'm going to see granddad we've got to go so we left that football game in the first half and went and got in the truck and we took out driving to Fayetteville North Carolina to see my granddad when we got to the nursing home there and I walked in the door my dad was standing there at the foot of the bed where my grandfather was and dad just kind of looked at me shook his head a little bit when I walked in the room and obviously granddad was about to go be with the Lord 93 I believe he was at the time And so I got down on my knees there beside the bed and I prayed with granddad as I had most often when I would visit him. I would pray with him before I left. In those times of of visiting with him, there was many times when he wasn't there. If you know what I mean, with Alzheimer's or dementia, he wasn't there. He He would talk about things that were way off that never happened tell me stories about things that I knew were not true but his mind was not normal anymore as this disease was affecting him but I can remember every time I got ready to leave and I say granddad I want to have prayer with you before I leave he became a different man and he would start praying and he'd pray along with me and had a sound mind when he talked to his heavenly father so that day when I went in and got down beside the bed and said granddad I want to pray with you one more time I finished I stood up and dad I don't think it was five minutes just very soon after that we stood there joy was with me and my grandfather breathed his last breath
As a pastor, I've been with people several times who have left this world. But Joy had never been with in a scene like that and seen somebody pass. So the next Sunday morning, the next day, we drove home and were in church the next morning. And some of you will remember this. And the choir began to sing at the beginning of the service. That song about fill this place, come where we are, Lord, fill this place. And um, when the choir began to sing that day, joy began to speak in tongues. And it started just about the time we started the song and all the way through the song. Most of us were weeping. And as uh, the Lord had, had led, it was already in the bulletin that morning that I was going to be speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so I walked to the pulpit that morning and tried to give some explanation of what had happened and I said I know many of you are confused many of you don't understand what's going on this morning and then I told them the story I've just told you about what we've done leaving the ball game going to the nursing home grandfather had passed and um, I said you don't you may not understand this but what is happening this morning is that joy is being ministered to by the Holy Spirit because the Bible says he is our comforter and I can well remember somebody who still attends this church who had just started attending there with us came to me after the service with tears in their eyes I said, Pastor, I don't understand what has happened this morning. But I know it was God. And all week that's been on my mind. I look at what happened to Jonah. I can't give you every detail of the way it worked exactly with absolute certainty. But I know it was God. I know it was God if he if he was alive and well and conscious for three days. And I know it was God if he died and the Lord brought him back to life. Either way, I know it was God. And there may be things in your life that you don't understand from time to time. I just want to remind you that God is in control. Always in control. So don't don't doubt the Lord. It's one of the it's one of the strangest things in my life that's ever happened to me. To be at a ball game and, and the Lord just lay that on my heart so heavy. You go see your grandfather now. And then all the things that followed through the rest of that weekend. But God loves us with a love that we can't even imagine. And there may be things that happen in our lives sometimes and we don't get it. We don't understand. But I want to tell you, he's God. He's got it. He's in control. Amen. Would you stand with me? Lord, we thank you today for your faithfulness to us. You are God and there is no one like you. Lord, I love this church. I love this group of people. And I know that within this congregation this morning, there are people who are struggling in areas in their lives. But I just pray, Lord, that you would wrap your arms of love around each one who is here today and help them to feel your presence and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are real. 
and your word is true and that they are loved. Help them to feel your presence. Help them to feel your spirit. Help them to know that they belong to you. We simply ask, Lord, that you would be real in our hearts and in our lives. That you would reveal yourself to us. That we would be open, Lord, to your word. That you could speak to us things that we may have never seen before. And do a work in us that amazes each one of us. Because you're a God who loves. There's no limit to your power. And when we so easily sometimes give up, Lord, there's always hope. There's always hope because you are God. And we thank you for it. Blessed be your name. I've just got to ask if there's anyone here today before we leave. We're going to sing a chorus of this leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms that Tony's playing there's anyone here who would like to come and bow before the Lord and talk with him just a moment or two before we leave, you're welcome to do that. We wouldn't dare want to kind of take that off the, the table today if you'd like to come. Have a great week. Let's come back together on Wednesday.